your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week we'll do a light dive into the week's parsha. We'll zoom in on a passage that catches our eye and we'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Suleika. And as always, I'm joined by Aaron Rotenberg. Hey, Paul. Hey, how's it going? It's good. How's your week been going so far? The week's been nice. Mm. Back into Chametz. Back into Chametz. Last week, we recorded pre-Pesach, and now we're post-Pesach, and just enjoying pizza. Did you do anything Mamuna-like? Mamuna being a common, uh, well, increasingly common kind of festival of cakes post-Passover. Mm. I didn't do... Did you? No. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if there was an opening for you to share. No, no, no. Opening uh, for you, if I, you were having one. I didn't go to a Mamuna this year. But at the time that usually would be Memuna, when Pesach ends, on the at the end of the eighth day, I went to uh, Mashiach Suda at mm. Chabad. Shout out, we're always shouting out Chabad.org. This is Chabad uh, Midtown Toronto, uh, where there's this custom to do something akin to a Seder of like having four cups of wine, mm-hmm. eating matzah. And instead of thinking about the redemption from uh Egypt only. This is more thinking about the redemption to come when the mess when the Messiah arrives or in the Messianic age. Did we go to one together like eight years ago in our friend's basement? I feel like this oh, feels familiar. Yes, we did try to do something. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the thing that at least maybe eight years ago we were into is there's also this tradition to sing like a cycle of songs connected to all the seven Chabad rabbis and our friend was like, yeah, well teach you the seven about songs i feel like we're just extra hasidic today there must be something uh, yeah you know in toronto the weather's gotten extra warm which uh mm. for anyone who grew up in toronto or in canada in general i feel like we just get this new revified energy and uh so maybe that energy is kind of making us feel chesed hasidic just kind of joyful pious you know that kind yeah, of yeah all those nice things it's also the omer the period yes. of counting between uh, Pesach and Shavuot, counting seven weeks. And we just had the week that the, is associated with Chesed, which is loving kindness, all those good things that you were saying. So it's not a coincidence, it's, just, no, the just the Sephirot. The... You can feel it. We can feel it <laughs> in our bones. I do feel it sometimes, like, uh, you know, as as as, lo- as yeah, illogical as it is, I'm like, I do feel it. <laughs> when do you most feel the Sephirot, Paul? When do I feel most of it? I guess uh, in the morning and at night. Uh, mm. <laughs> definitely those two times. And like we say in the Shema, when you wake up and when you go to sleep, those are connective times. Yeah, they must be connective. So, yes, I'm definitely feeling the the chesed. And the next week is what? Tiferets? Uh, for, we're, we're in Gevura right now. We're in Gevura. the second week. And then the third week is Tiferet. Okay. So next week, yeah. I knew one of them was Splendor, so I uh, just wanted it's a to... Splendid week. <laughs> a splendid week. So what's this week's Parsha? Mm-hmm. I feel like it has a long name. This week's Parsha has a long name because it's actually two Parshas. It's Tazria Mitzora. So it's one of these weeks where we need to get, get in all the Parshas. So we're, it's a double header. A double header. So... What does Tazria mean? Uh, Tazria, it comes from the root of Zera, which is seed. 
and it means like uh, it has to do with when a woman. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Conceives or beca- like come receives seed. It's really about when she gives birth, but it's saying it in a fancy way about when the seed enters her body. Wow, that is that's not so strange. I remember when I was a kid, my mom would describe kind of heterosexual procreation, I guess all procreation as seed and egg. Like uh, so it's not so strange. But you know, now that I'm saying Shout this, it to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks the for the sex book she mom. gave me. <laughs> but actually, as I'm saying this, maybe I'm totally wrong. It it the thing that it's talking about at the start of the parsha is about giving the childbirth. So actually, maybe. It's just a way of saying giving birth and maybe isn't about semen and seed, which comes up later on. Again, spoiler alert. That's gonna, <laughs> if you want to hear more about seed and semen, that is also later in the Parsha in the Mitsora part, which means Mitsora. Do you want to say Mitsora? Mitsora, no, I don't remember. Where it comes from Tsarat, which is... We'll also have to we'll have to get into all this stuff. It's some like scaly white oh, disease. Oh yes, what I was talking about before we started yeah. recording, Mitsora. Yes, we don't uh, exactly know what it is. It's a, a little bit strange, but Mitsora is somebody who has this affliction of tsarat. A person experiencing Mitsora. Um, just using people for his language. Uh, so why don't we, <laughs> um, why don't we, you know, just as a slight change up, why don't we have just one, one minute summary? Uh, we'll go with you, Aaron, this week and maybe every week for the summary. Ooh. All right. <laughs> and then, um, I think I'm, I think I'm good for it. And then I'm going to maybe ask some questions about the summary and maybe jump into a passage that jumped out to me. Uh, we can kind of dovetail from there. Great. Three, two, one. Oh, go now. We deal with the uh, impurity or uncleanliness, the tumah that happens when a woman gives birth. And then we hear about how the priest would uh, inspect and figure out what's happening with this sarat, this uh, white scaly thing, and how it might appear on a person's skin and body, and also how it might appear on their clothing. We hear the laws about how a person becomes purified and cleansed by the priest after having sarat. And you have to take like one bird and then kill it and put it in the blood of another bird and that blood, other stuff, and sprinkle it. And uh, there's a whole ritual. And then when they get into the land of Israel, God also says, oh, and maybe your house could also get this sarat thing. And then there's some laws about that. And... Uh, had to notice it and fix it. And, and we're good. <laughs> so that was really good, though. I think you got 90% of them, although you didn't mention one major significant thing in it that uh, I was surprised. I um, oh, I did all the stuff about what we were talking about uh, the <laughs> emissions of various sorts from the men and women. The missions? Uh, emissions. Oh, emissions. No, no. Well, close physically. Um, you know, I guess there's a couple ways we can go in this direction, but there's one line that maybe you could read this in Hebrew. It's uh Aleph Bet Gimel. Hmm. This is 1.3 oh. or no, what is hmm. it? 
12, chapter 12, verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3. And that means in English, according to Chabad.org, and on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Mm-hmm. So interesting that you didn't include the circumcision in that kind of list of things that's happened this week. I didn't want to talk. <laughs> you didn't want to talk about no, it. We just, don't have just, to. No, it's not that I didn't want to talk about it. It just slipped out of my head. <laughs> I was just making a joke. I didn't want to talk about it. Because there's, there's like two things like directions to go. I can go either Surat or circumcision today. Um, the Surat, because I guess we were already talking about it a little bit before um, we started recording. So one thing that I remember always hearing in synagogue mm-hmm. is that Surat is not leprosy, even though we always think it is. Right. That's like, it's kind of like we kind of go through these phases of society. I'm sure like a thousand years ago, they were like, this is probably leprosy. And then 200 years ago, they were like, you know what? It's not leprosy. <laughs> I remember yeah. always hearing that what it's not from people. Yeah, because it is historically translated as leprosy. I guess I don't really know what, like, the medical definition of leprosy is, but it, I think it's like involves losing limbs and things like that. I think just the symptoms of what we call leprosy are definitely not what is being described in the parsha this week. Because your house doesn't normally get leprosy, right? <laughs> like, I think that is the kind of kicker here. Because one of the things, this yeah. is what I've always wondered about whenever I heard this um, a person can get sarat. And a house can get sarat. What does a house and a person get? I just thought of it the second. Mold. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Or I think people get mold. Maybe they don't. Like yeast. Yeast, yeah, yeast, yeast is a mold, it's isn't a it? Yeah. It's a fungus. So maybe my mm. one second take, I'm like, is sarat really mold? Because mm. you can get it in your house and you can get it in you. So like this seems like my kind of first plausible... Yeah, it it is described. There are like some color descriptions, and Sarat is mainly described as being white. Mm-hmm. So and, it could be, yeah. And your know, friend of the pod, Wikipedia, mentioned that it could be uh, psoriasis. <laughs> All the houses say. don't get psoriasis, so yeah. But I also think I have I have psoriasis, and it sounds like Sarat psoriasis sounds similar, but also makes it uncomfortable to read some of these things. That's like. Out of the camp, bring these sacraments. Like you're impure. I also want to talk about this, like impure, unclean, whatever mm-hmm. this designation is, which feels like pretty harsh in those words. Like, no good, get out of here. But doesn't it feel kind of timely to you, considering the last three years? You're oh. referring to the COVID nineteen <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Have you heard of it? <laughs> I have had uh, some brushes with this. Yeah, like I, I almost like I almost can't talk about it because it was you know so emotionally fraught between people. But like you know, there was a time for me as a person who was very 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 eager to be vaccinated. Like I just and a lot of us we didn't want to be sharing space with people who weren't vaccinated because that's just what seemed to be the right decision at the time. Um, so similarly, like you know, you're talking about how it's harsher, but I guess like I remember I myself was kind of more on the very like rigid side of the sort of thing in my life in the past yeah or i i was trying to say or first of all just to say like yeah i think there was harshness and boundaries that happened during covid which we can talk about more 
but I mean the language, specifically the translation of the language mm-hmm. is har- harsh. I'm not sure because you know there's always all these interpretive ways to understand what's happening in the text. I don't know that what's happening is necessarily harsh. Like I don't even know does being sent out of the camp is that is that even a bad thing? Maybe that's a holiday. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know what's happening there. I think back then probably wasn't a holiday. I could see now it would be a holiday, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I have like other assumptions and ideas in my head when I'm saying this. I think you're right that the the shot, the simple plain reading of the text does seem to not like it. Or there's some like mm-hmm. negative relation to the Hebrew word is tum'ah, to be tam'eh, is the definite. There's this, the Hebrew words are tahor which is often translated as pure or clean, and tame, which is impure and unclean. Oh, tamor. Ta- Left tahor. Left tahor. Is that that cult? That's a cult. That is a cult, <laughs> yes. That's not offending anyone, right? I feel like that's a pretty mainstream interpretation. No, I, yeah, I just I wasn't saying like, oh, left. Uh, I love that cult. It's a phrase also from Psalms that God created a pure heart within me. Oh, I so see it's like, that. oh, I thought you were just referring to that idea. You're like, no, I'm referring to called noon after that line. Okay. So you're saying that this is a harsh language, like the purity and impurity, the the pure heart, to horror, or no, the pure person and the. Yeah, it's just that there's nothing wrong with for childbirth. What do you mean you're impure for childbirth? That's just it's not like the most beautiful thing. Like, or I don't. Maybe there's value. Okay, it's just not a bad. Like, yeah. nothing wrong is happening. Yeah. And also, like. Uh, your menstrual blood that we also see mm-hmm. like why what is going so I think that there is something else that's going on here that's not saying like or you could say that's how taboos work that's how these things work but it's interesting too because I know something we like to do in this podcast a little bit is kind of explain Jewish concepts to people who might have less deep knowledge so mm-hmm. I know there is this kind of stereotype that kind of um i guess it is true for some communities and some people that like when a woman is menstruating she shouldn't be touched and in some families you know husbands and wives will sleep in separate beds if she's menstruating not use the same chair right right. like this is something that's not like the sheet thing which is completely false but um you know the sheet thing (laughs) i'm giving you a blank stare (laughs) (laughs) well like um just really, really quickly, the sheet yes. urban legend um, that, you know, when people had Jew- observant Jewish people in their neighborhood, they'd see them drying sheets and these sheets had a hole in them. So they're like, oh, these people obsessed with purity must be having sex through a sheet. But really, it's a talit katan, like a, mm. an undershirt that has your fringes on it that has a hole in the middle so you could put it over you. So like there was this rumor started, I guess, 100 years ago that this was a a sheet to have sex with but it's really just a, a way to wear your tzitzit under your clothing um so i'm saying no one's having sex through sheets but some people are not sharing seats with people who have menstruated that's true on the sheets to <laughs> <laughs> talk more about the sheets yeah let's get it you have let's more to say about the sheets the first Aaron's like uh, my first friend that ever got married. <laughs> I've, maybe I should try that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to shout him, to call him up, my good friend Gil Lando uh, was the first wedding, and Anna Badler got married when I was first year university, 
And I got them like a nice dish as a wedding gift. And I wrapped it in a sheet with a hole in it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought, that's what you should get. That's what they need. Like, was it a Talit Katan or it was just... <laughs> no, it was just a joke. I, oh, you got it as like a joke to... <laughs> like, it was you didn't accidentally just have a sheet with a hole. You got it to kind of yeah. allude to this rumor. No, yeah, because we were, we were at studying at Yeshiva University at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to be like, I don't know. Seems maybe perhaps like a silly young person's risque joke. And now we're uh, 34 and 36, we, soon to be 35 and 37. And I guess we don't make jokes like that anymore. <laughs> no, not here. Not, not on this podcast. <laughs> Where were we? So uh, um, we're just talking so about purity and purity. That's right. We were explaining Nida. Nida and menstrual. how people are separate. I have to say, though, like, not that I, you know, not being heterosexual, I guess to, me, it's to some level, it doesn't matter to me. But I kind of think there is something lovely about that idea of spending some time apart and then coming back together. So, um, mm-hmm. and I've heard of some observant same-sex couples actually kind of having, I guess if it's two women, then you can do some version of that. Although there's less days you can come back together um if you're doing understanding the math i'm getting at but i guess for two men like you just artificially pick those days like mm-hmm. um which i think is kind of interesting how sometimes uh same-sex couples come might adopt kind of observant things which is interesting yeah like i i do feel something like the you know as a cis man talking about this feels like i don't how much can i actually say but it does feel like it's coming from a place that is you know, biased and misogynistic and like scared of menstrual blood in a not good way. That is like the source of some of these things. Um, but the most compelling like presentation that somebody once shared with me about it, who also was like, yeah, this is, there's like these maybe problematic source elements, but if one is living a halachic life and like living all of their life according to Jewish law. Mm-hmm. Like there needs to be something like sex is a big part of life. So yeah. there needs to be something around it. Like, so this, this is the framework for like talking about laws around it. So for me, it like sounds, feels like it makes sense to take up even for same sex male couples to like have some sort of way of relating to it. If you're halachic yeah. and want to embrace that way of going through life. Yeah, no, it is really interesting kind of how that all comes together. So, um, so yeah, those are some of the pieces on Surat. I was, do you have any other final thoughts on Surat, on Surat. or anything else that jumped out to you uh, for this uh, Parsha? Well, Surat also makes me think of the story of Miriam, who will get Surat for talking about it's for saying something about Moses wife. It's not happening in this parsha, but mm-hmm. she's somebody who gets gets sent out of camp, and we have a narrative moment where it happens, which also feels like a hard, strange story. And only Miriam, only the she's talking with Aaron, and Aaron doesn't get kicked out of camp. Only Miriam does. You know, I thought about that recently because, um, as comes up often, you know recently being Passover and recently having watched Prince of Egypt again, maybe mm-hmm. I guess my 12th time. I always think about when in the film, 
uh, Zipporah and Miriam seem to be kind of singing together mm. as they're walking to the Red Sea. No, not the Red Sea. Was the Red Sea like the part, the sea yeah. that gets parted, anyways? The and Sea I'm, of Reeds. Sea of Reeds. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I remember the Tanakh. They didn't necessarily get along so well. So I was like, <laughs> it's nice that they have them kind of being amiable in the film, kind of singing together. But I was like, oh, this. I remember that I remember yeah. that scene you're talking about where I guess Miriam was unhappy that Zipporah wasn't a Hebrew, right? And something to it's, that effect. It it isn't clear what's happening just because she just talking about Moses ki isha kushit because he took a Kushite woman, but what that means and doesn't doesn't really say many details. Maybe it's just she was especially beautiful woman, or like maybe she's jealous. It could a be a Kushite woman, mm-hmm. and that's also the same as a Midianite, though. It's interesting, right? Or maybe it's referring to another woman. Oh, another wife. Yeah. Is from Midian. Maybe this is another woman. Uh, lots of questions about it, but I, I think because there's lots of questions, there's maybe space for Midrashim, or there is a. I was talking about the Mashiach Suda. We all, also at Anikshul we did a. Miriam Suda, which is probably also why I'm thinking about Miriam um, when we're talking about Sarat. Um, and we looked at a beautiful song by Girls in Trouble, uh, which is a project by Alicia Joe Rabbins, is I think her name. Oh, yes. The one who sang that beautiful Ruth song on YouTube. Yeah. So she has a whole song cycle of that's similar to a project that we have about mm-hmm. women in the Bible. Yes. Uh and there's one about what Miriam is going through when she's out of camp. So we were looking at that. It's called the Scorpions and the Spiders. Um, but we also looked at a, a midrash from Dear Shuni, which is a collection of uh, midrashim written by Israeli women uh, about sort of about issues pertaining to women in the, in the Bible, mainly. Uh, and I saw this particular midrash from uh, Rabbi Avi Kilip at Hadar, uh, and it's about the death of Miriam, which mm. right, we don't actually hear so much. It's going to come. This is again spoiler alert. Miriam's going to die, Uh-oh. and there's not going to be so much detail about it. And it, like fills out this beautiful, like heartbreaking story about connecting Miriam to the. Uh, moon and water and how she her life is kind of like upended after getting Sarat and it has this beautiful like moment at the end where like Sipora like comes out and mourns for her especially because she oh. appreciates Miriam for trying to bring her back together with her husband so it like has this like brings in this like idea that maybe actually Miriam was trying to reunite Oh, that this is just like there was another wife, and that's why Miriam was mad at Moses. That because that's why the different nationalities mentioned to a Christian instead of a Midianite. Well, that could be filling in more a midrash about this midrash. I, I'm not sure exactly how, but at least right. I think that it's easy to read from the text that we're given that maybe there was some tension between Sipor uh, and Miriam. But I think right, there's other ways of reading it and midrashim contemporary midrashim that people are writing that like and the prince of egypt which is also a contemporary midrash that maybe there there was more love between Zipporah and miriam 
kind of like a, maybe even kind of transition to kind of a positive note, because I know we've talked a little bit about some negative perspectives on giving birth and menstruation, but mm-hmm. something indirectly positive about being a woman that I kind of would love to get into. I know that we talked a little bit about that passage, uh, Leviticus chapter 12, verse three, and it talked about what was obviously alluding to circumcision, which is traditionally done on the eighth day, uh, a bris, as we would often say in American English, kind of influenced by um, Ashkenazi pronunciation. But, you know, for our listeners, what would be something that what would be the female equivalent of that kind of celebration or a female child being born in some communities? We do not do female circumcision. That's not what I was getting at. <laughs> but there is a an, a book called Why. It was like a whole thing in like Christian anti-Jewish polemics about why women don't get circumcised. But we don't. That's not what you're asking about, maybe. <laughs> Worth mentioning. Uh, <laughs> Although now I am very happy to see, just straight to my Christians, brothers and sisters, there's anti anti Jewish like people are reacting to that reaction. I've noticed, I think, in Christian circles where a lot of times people will be like, oh, everything patriarchal and Christianity is from Judaism. But now people are like, no, we regret saying that. Like, that's not a good comparison. So oh, thank glad. you for all the Christian communities who are. Yeah. Turning that narrative around. That are, great. That's great to hear. Um, but yeah, there are like Jewish naming ceremonies that I think are in some ways still being created and thought of for children without a penis. Um, the one that like the first way of describing it that comes to me is a simchat bat, a celebration mm-hmm. of the daughter. Um, and I think I know people do like, there are like different rituals that people have around like feet washing, which also some people do as like an alternative to uh, circumcision. Also another thing. Um, I think the thing that I've seen a lot and correct me if I'm misremembering this is that bringing the daughter to an Aliyah. Yeah. And that is where you share the name, which is why I kind of would call it a, a baby name in English. Naming. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like uh... this is what we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. And, and the way I always imagined it, like I, I haven't had anyone close to me have a girl, maybe have I don't remember who was observant in that way. But I'm like, in my mind, I imagined that like no one hears the baby's name until the baby name. It's like a complete secret. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, and the baby's name is, you know. Uh, Alicia, but in Hebrew, like uh, Hannah, Miriam, Chava, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, Naomi, the uh, Aharon. <laughs> I'm just making that oh, up. That's mine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, or what I hear you picking up on is that for the male baby naming which is associated with the brit the bris the bris on the eighth day the bris is tradition to like not publicly discuss the name until mm-hmm. the public naming but the baby naming for girls doesn't have the same like needs to be done the eighth day so it ha- can happen like a while after 
but does it still preserve the same like don't publicly say the name if it's like two months after three that's not realistic that they're like not discussing the name so what's that about how do people deal with that you know how people deal with it like one of my favorite things is just kind of very modern things that happen to modern orthodox people so like you know some of my acquaintances and friends who have you know, sometimes when you have a baby, you want to make an Instagram of your baby because you want an easy way to share photos and to keep it private. So I've noticed more than one friend, like if they make an Instagram for their baby, but if they've made that Instagram before they've announced the baby's name, the Instagram's handle is usually baby family last name. So it's like, <laughs> like if you had a daughter or son, you really wanted to start an Instagram, but you're like, oh, I don't want to sit like we haven't had the baby, baby naming, naming or the breasts. It'll be like. Baby Rotenberg Instagram. Like, I love that this is a thing I've seen for more than one, like a person I've, you know, in my Instagram life that like baby last name is like, if you're an observant person who uses social media and loves life and wants to share these photos, like, how do you get around this baby last name? Like, I love that, you know? Yeah. Okay. That's a good modern place yeah where, where do you even like maybe you don't need to say the baby name at all you could just say but if you're sharing pictures on instagram yeah they need a handle <laughs> i think that's going to be my like a spin-off uh spin-off podcast very modern orthodox things like why is sushi modern orthodox tune in uh no it's because this is a deep are cut cold. yeah people yeah. will not. <laughs> uh i love it spin-off <laughs> podcast already happening <laughs> Yeah, each week we'll do a different, very modern Spin- Orthodox thing. <laughs> well, like, what's another very modern Orthodox thing? I'm trying to think of offhand. Um, no, I think sushi and baby last name are the only two I can think of off- offhand, but other things will come to me. Yeah, I'm not so in the modern Orthodox world to know. No, yeah, but, you know, I feel like we've kind of done a really nice kind of 180 and kind of talking a little bit about how mm-hmm. things were perceived as impure for better or for worse both with things relating to women menstruation birth even about disease um and mold we're guessing mold but then kind of spinning it around to just some kind of some positive things about also the birth of a daughter like talking about the baby naming which is kind of an equivalent to the brit's mila so i think we've kind of done a really mm. not that everything has to be positive because i'm very aware of toxic positivity <laughs> but just kind of interesting kind of bring that conversation to full circle about kind of all these things we consider pure and impure and how it might relate to gender and sex and the body and such. Mm. Beautiful. So I guess that kind of wraps up. Uh, and as always, you know, this has been Paul Saleka. And this is Aaron Rotenberg. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.